sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. One of the hot topics of the whole pandemic era has been the lawfulness of vaccine mandates and their future. Well, today we're going to have a little analysis for you of vaccine mandates and religious objections and what happens with religious objections to vaccine mandates. We don't actually have vaccine mandates in place with respect to COVID, but where this whole conflict is bleeding over into are the child immunization mandates, which of course we do have in order for kids to attend school in, I believe, pretty much all 50 states. Uh, New York Times Magazine published an article recently entitled The Anti-Vaccine Movement's New Frontier. A wave of parents has been radicalized by COVID-era misinformation to reject ordinary childhood immunizations with potentially lethal consequences. Well, without demeaning folks' sincere religious objections to even vaccination of children, the question becomes, what are courts likely to do with these kinds of religious objections? California eliminated the religious objection to vaccines a couple of years ago. Will the courts sustain objections, or will they affirm these vaccine mandates? Well, the first case involving this sort of thing of vaccine mandates goes back to 1904. Henning Jacobson, a Swedish immigrant and a minister, refused to comply with the vaccine mandate in Massachusetts. He was fined $5, equivalent to about $170 in today's money. And the arguments back then were similar to what we hear today. Vaccines are dangerous, they kill children, they infringe on personal freedom. But in Jacobson's case, the Supreme Court ruled that states did have the power to mandate vaccination when public safety was threatened, but not if individuals could show that the vaccine would harm or kill them. So that seems to be an important distinction. But uh, this becomes a good opportunity to review the uncertain status of religious freedom as the current Supreme Court has has analyzed it. So, back in 1990, it was the conservative Justice Antonin Scalia who issued the opinion in a case called Employment Division against Smith, and basically said that as long as a law was not discriminatory on its face, didn't single out religion for harsh or unequal treatment, that there was virtually no uh, right to any kind of religious exemption or accommodation or objection uh, to that uh, statutory scheme. So 
applying that principle here, you know, a general vaccine mandate that says kids have to have whatever the vaccines are in order to attend school, it doesn't have anything to do with religion. And so under the Smith rule, there simply is no religious challenge whatsoever. Okay? That's the current state of the law under our Constitution. Religious freedom has essentially been greatly diminished, if not virtually written out. It becomes now a non-discrimination or an equal protection issue. I hope that makes sense, and I hope that's troubling to you. Certainly, the religious freedom community has been trying to challenge that for many, many years, and certainly are looking for cases to bring to the Supreme Court to, to challenge that. But even in the, in the COVID cases, what the court has done is stop short of reversing Smith, and instead they have been aggressive at finding where laws are not religion neutral. So, for example, when Las Vegas, Nevada allows casinos to operate but not churches, they find that that's not religion neutral. That's a pretty good, you know, pretty sensible finding, if you ask me. Uh, in, in personally, I think uh, it would have been safer to shut down the casinos and the churches both. But you can't shut down the churches and not shut down the casinos. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense if your God is the almighty dollar and the tax dollar. Uh, that's about the only sense. Well, but let's take a look. Even if Smith were reversed, then we go back to a kind of a balancing test. And the balance uh, is supposed to be very protective of religious freedom. It goes like this. And this is the, um, the RIFRA statute. So if you have a federal statute that allegedly infringes on religious freedom, then RIFRA applies. And there are some states that have RIFRA bills as well. RIFRA is an acronym, RFRA, for Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And I was involved in uh, advocating for a number of these bills and getting a couple of them passed uh, back in the day, back in the 90s. RIFRA bills go back to a protective standard for religious liberty that, that works like this. First question, uh, is there a sincere religious belief that is being restricted? So if a parent says, you know, I have religious belief against vaccinating my kids, the question is, is it actually religious or is it really based on concern about the safety of the vaccines? Because concerns about health and safety are not really uh, religious objections. There's something else there. doesn't make them less valid. They're just not legally protected. They're not religious freedom objections. But assuming that a parent has a genuine religious objection to the vaccines, the next question is, well, what is the state's interest in applying this vaccine mandate? Is it sufficiently important? Is it compelling, is the language of, of the, the statute? Is it a compelling interest? And I think that courts generally would hold that the state's interest in public health in the health of children, in, you know, restricting the spread of the diseases or eliminating the diseases that vaccines, children's vaccines are intended to combat, um, that yes, that's a compelling state interest. But that's not the end of the story. 
because the state then has another burden. If the state has a compelling interest in mandating vaccines generally, the question becomes, well, why can't it accomplish that interest in a way that is less restrictive of the religious parents' rights to exercise their belief and not vaccinate their kids? Can't the two interests be accommodated better than simply trampling on the religious parent and their concerns, their objections to the vaccine? So the question really in this context becomes, can the religious parents be exempted? Can they be accommodated? Can they be permitted not to get the vaccine? Uh, that's not an easy question. Even under this very protective legal framework, courts could very easily find that by allowing parents not to get vaccinated and send their kids to schools, that there are children who can't be vaccinated for you know, legitimate medical reasons, and that they would then be exposed and more at risk because of the increase in unvaccinated children. So it could go either way. You know, it's not a slam dunk that uh, the religious interest would prevail. But, you know, generally, if we take a step back, the current Supreme Court, with its very staunch conservative majority, has been seen as being very strongly pro-religion, and its decisions certainly have been pro-religion. But the framework that they're working with that they have yet to, to change is really a framework that is not at all protective of religious freedom. And it's been with us for decades now. If you think about um, the debate over the leaked court opinion concerning reversing Roe v. Wade, uh, you know, the concern, I'm not getting into abortion in, in this discussion, but the concern is that any kind of rights framework that was developed more recently is an open question. And certainly the protective framework with respect to religious freedom and the free exercise clause of the First Amendment this is a very recent innovation. It predates Roe versus Wade uh, just by a few years. The Really, the strongest, clearest case was a case going back to 1963, a case called uh, Sherbert against Verner, a Seventh-day Adventist denied unemployment benefits when she lost her job for not working on Saturday, which is her Sabbath observance, and uh, and the court said, no, she's entitled to her unemployment benefits. You can't penalize her because she's not working because of her faith. So that was the first time that the court really applied a very strict test, protective of religious freedom. And they continued to do that between the 60s, and I think the last time was a case where my legal career started in 1986 involving yet another Seventh-day Adventist denied unemployment benefits, Paula Hobby, against Florida. And in that case, Florida said that she would not get unemployment benefits because she'd been hired and was working 
any one of the seven days, had no restrictions, and that she changed the terms and conditions of her employment by virtue of becoming a Seventh-day Adventist and no longer working on her Saturday Sabbath. Uh, we got that reversed. Very clear, the right to change your religion is protected by the First Amendment. And I had the privilege of briefing that case as, as a law student working at the Seventh-day Adventist Church legal office. That was uh, certainly the highlight of my, uh, my budding legal career so many years ago. So is religious freedom on a secure constitutional footing, even with what appears to be a religion-friendly court? I would say no. Religious freedom is not on a secure footing. And, you know, the risk here of children dying because they're not vaccinated, the risk of bad information out there about vaccines, you know, all of the, the controversy over COVID vaccines has very profound political undertones to it. Um, despite the fact that when Donald Trump was president, one of his great boasts was how he had jump-started development of the vaccine and how quickly the vaccine was developed under what he claimed was his leadership. And yet conservatives became very strongly opposed to the vaccines, and not just vaccine mandates, but to the vaccines themselves. And so the, there's just a growing opposition to vaccines that has very strong political connotations, but ultimately really puts our children at risk and highlights the uncertain status of religious freedom. Well, I hope this discussion has been a blessing and lightning to you. As always, this has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.